Okay, we began Perichaf Hay and Divrei Yamim, which we're going to first examine and then go back to Malachim Beis. Uh, there's a parallel with important details to bring out. As I mentioned last week, the good news is Amatio, otherwise known as Amatio, is a pretty good Melech Yehuda in terms of his general running of the kingdom. It starts off describing how when he killed the assassins of his father, he did not touch their family members. So he was trying to be medactic ba'alacha. Besides the disaster we're going to read about, he did a very good job. And the problem that we're about to run into is a composite of a number of things, and it's really a, uh, a microcosm of... Uh, trying to figure out how a good person can go bad, when it's not clear that it's so they're not one shot, it's not overnight, it's a mistake leading to a bigger mistake, to a bigger mistake, and uh, the uh, nukuda can often be found in many of the things that go wrong in life. Uh, a lot of it is out of our control, and much of it is uh, self-inflicted. Uh, the self-inflicted part is the nakuda where you have to look back not at what just went wrong a minute ago, but perhaps which Avera led to this in the first place. Uh, the underpinnings of what's going on is uh, often the, the key to be it, the key to tshuva, and this case with Amatio. The string of events is not much different. Unfortunately, it's on a national level, so whatever he does wrong, he's the, uh, he's the lave of Kol Yisrael. So when the kings are very good, they put everybody up. When they were horrible, they not only did their own avodazar, but they achetim achetis harabim quite often. And then you have the amatsios, who were generally good people, and um, things went wrong with uh, disastrous results. Uh, the positive note, which I always like pointing out, is the disastrous results over here will not cause Malchus Beis Yehuda to be permanently damaged yet. Uh, the Assessor Shvatim had very little uptick. Uh, the zigzag in the Malchus Yehuda, which I'll show you as we go in the chart. Is it going? Uh, yeah, David, keep an eye on it. If, uh, it is, it isn't? What? What it is? Good? Okay. So, um, the, uh, the zigzag, I'll call it the Malch Yehuda, is going to be breathtaking. Maybe that's too positive a word. Breathtaking is usually reserved for Mount Everest and other uh, Grand Canyons. Uh, it's, uh, it's something from a father to a son. It's not like a slow slip over many generations. And we're going to go back and forth. Each one has to be explained, at least attempted. Everybody has Bechir, and you can have a father-son, father-son. But the, uh, the dichotomy is going to get worse. Amatio is not going to be so bad that the kasha is going to be on the next door yet. The question is uh, what happens afterwards. So with that uh, brief reintroduction, let's go back to Pasuk Hay. We actually left off on Vov. But just to get our bearings. Again, following the Chumash, the draft age was 20. He's gathering the army of Yehuda and Benyamin. Uh, notice how it says here Yehuda. Benyamin was always a smaller part within Yehuda. The main army was Yehuda. 
uh, is going to mention Binyamin with Yehuda, but the number is primarily going to be from Yehuda. Foot soldiers. It's quite an army. He's going to fight Edom. Edom was a relatively, I can't say minor, because he's raising an army of 300,000 and he's not satisfied with that. Uh, as we mentioned last week, they constantly had attacks, terrorist activity, damage, uh, monetary damage. Uh, they were in and out, and border skirmishes. They were right on the uh, on the fence of Yehuda. And it's been an old problem, and the rivalry, Edom and Kaisal goes back to Yaakov and Esav, and he decided finally, as his kingdom was established, and he was quite strong, that he's going to get rid of them. He finished with the reprisals and the, the bombings. This, this all sounds familiar, this plot. Uh, there's, a, there's a place in Gaza we have this issue with, and Edom happened to be, unlike the, the Arab threat today, uh, it wasn't necessarily an existential threat at the moment. Uh, Edom didn't have any, they probably wanted to, didn't have any realistic designs of getting rid of Klai Yisrael. Uh, the Arabs would like to do just that, Rahman al-Islam. Uh, Baruch Hashem, they're not united enough. Akash Baruch Hu, uh, one of the Nisims uh, we have in the Bria, uh, Desla says, from Migdal Bovel onwards, uh, the Achtas almost destroyed the world. They got together, had one government, one people in one place, and they all had one day to uh, suck every aspect of Kedusha out of the world, and the world would cease to exist. That's how Desla explains it. And they almost succeeded. To go down Nerda, uh, we're going to see what they're doing and interrupt them, and the only way to stop this was to change the language so that nobody could ever get together again and accomplish one thing, because they're not going to agree on any one thing, even annihilating the Jews. And Odessa says that's safer for the world and safer for Klai Yisrael. And that has been the story, even in the Holocaust, where most of the world is united. The, the Jews always put in various places for a safe haven. Not all the governments will agree to, uh, and it's a Gemara really. Gemara says the Romans um, wanted the Yishakayach for not destroying the Jews completely, not implementing the final solution. And they told one of the uh, emperors that. Um, you couldn't do it even if you tried. And he said, why is that? Nobody's, nobody's stronger than the Romans. He said, because half of us are under the Parthians. Of course, Baruch is not going to put all, all of us under one jurisdiction. That's the way, the way it always was. So uh, the Arabs today, as unified as they might be on their uh, focus on their anti-Semitism, uh, we see it, Baruch Hashem, more that, now than ever. There's uh, not much unity. And if you look back at the history of the... Uh, Various wars, Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur War looked really bad. Um, they, um, they were betraying each other as they planned on attacking the Jews. No, Yaakov, the uh, plan with uh, where Egypt got together showed the Syrians one plan and had a different plan. You couldn't make that stuff up. That was their ally. They had two different pieces of paper. <laughs> so, only Akash Baruch who can... Uh, you know, even now, the Americans and the Russians toward the end of the war, World War II probably had that issue also. Uh, but they weren't too, they just didn't trust each other. They had two different plans. The Syrians, the Syrians were told by the Egyptians that they're going to attack on one front, the Syrians are going to attack on another front, and the Egyptians are going to keep pressing north, and they're going to press south, and they're going to, Rahman destroy Klai Yisrael. And the Egyptians uh, went uh, a few kilometers and stopped 
And President Assad kept demanding, why aren't they advancing? Where's the pressure on the second front? There was no pressure, and the Israelis left and moved to the north to fight the Syrians. He goes, where are you guys? He says, well, didn't we have an agreement? It says here on the plane, you're supposed to push forward. That was what the, that's the plan that they showed him. That's, that's, that's a nice episode. That was the refuel before the Makkah, one of them. So, um, it, even though it looks like everybody's out to get us, Akash Baruch Hu, Baruch Hashem won't allow that. Over here in this particular war, and I'm pointing all this out for a reason, they're trying to finally get rid of this uh, menace. They were not, again, whether they wanted to, they were not capable of destroying, forget Kalayasol, even Yehuda and Benyamin. And the expression overkill, he raised an army of 300,000 soldiers. That's pretty good. Edom is not that big. So, okay, he doesn't need a million. He felt he needed 300,000. Okay. The next Pasuk, which is where we left off last week, he doesn't feel the number is high enough. And he doesn't think the army is strong enough, and he's going to hire mercenaries. So, as we drew a parallel from the Revolutionary War and many other wars, uh, mercenaries don't fight that well, and you can't really trust them that much. Uh, he wasn't born yesterday. He didn't hire Germans or Italians or uh, the Spanish. He hired Jews, Orthodox Jews, somewhat. I guess Sarasashvatam is. We're going to get to that in a moment, but they were ostensibly orthodox. But they were Jews. They were right next door, and they weren't always fighting, and sometimes they got along. Here's an example. He figured, good money, take it home. They have a lot of kids to marry off, people supporting, learning in Kailul, at least for the first Tashkama minion before they went to the base of Arazara. And uh, he was able to get plenty of them. The problem wasn't that he couldn't trust them, although we're going to find out later he couldn't even trust them. Uh, in terms of not the fighting ability, the collateral damage is going to happen when they get into a fight. Uh, there's a, a bigger issue over here. And you wouldn't think that this is such a problem. We look at the Tachran Amuna. No, no. You do a little more Ashtadlis, a little less Ashtadlis. Oh, a little, little overkill in the Ashtadlis. That's not a, not a reason to lose a war. Here, he hires them, and Akash Baruch Hu sends a Navi immediately to tell him that he should send them home because we don't need them. And uh, they're not only not necessary, they can be damaging because they're basically of Devar Azara and Yehuda basically were not, I say basically there were exceptions and it wasn't good for Siyat Deshmaya. so send them home the message underneath was that you don't need them and this is Chisarin and Bitochen and you have a 300,000 strong army and they were good and that's enough doesn't say that but that's what's going on here behind the scenes, and I will elaborate on that as we go through it. And the second piece of good news is that uh, Amatio is uh, a tzaddik, and he listens. You know how embarrassing that is? Raise an army, you have them all together. He didn't have a havmin of hiring them. He, he hired them already, and he brought them there, and he paid them already. Hired contractors. Let's see Pasuk Vav. Yiskem Yisrael, mea elav gibar chayab, mea kikar kesev. It's a lot of money. And a lot of soldiers. Pasuk Zayin. Ve'ishel lokim ba. The flip side of the page. Hey, love Lamer Hamelach Al Yava Imcha Tzva Yisrael. We don't want soldiers from the Asher Sashvatim. Ki ein Hashem im Yisrael Kol Bnei Ephraim. That's quite a statement. You have zero siat deshmaya. Kosh Baruch will not be with you if they're here because Kosh Baruch is not with them. These are Jews. Abcheshish. 
I don't even want to say it. They had he hired Italians. They probably have Devarazar also, but uh, maybe that wouldn't even be, been as much of a kitrug. Here we have Yidin who are of Devarazar, and, uh, and that's not good for anybody. Now, mind you, the uh, fighting force of the Assassin's Shvatim was quite formidable. They had fought many battles, and they had won many battles. They had won, they had won some against uh, Yehuda, and they're going to win one at the end of this parry. So it's not like uh, they can't win. It's just that you, the king of Yehuda, should realize that you're in a higher madrega and you have 300,000 already. It's not like you're not doing any established. You feel you need this established also. It's already an issue. And then you bring them. That's not the source of Siyat Deshmai. Okay. I don't know if it says. Let's see if... Um, the uh, I might have a raya later. Uh, what the doc brings down? Who was it? Because there's another navi that comes later. Where is it? Okay. Yeah, that's significant, by the way. That's very significant because um, they were all related. I'm glad. I'm glad you asked to point that out. Um, there were some navim from the outside. Uh, Yeshaya is going to play a major role, as we know. And uh, his father, if Yeshaya is related, his father is related. And they were people who not only knew royalty because they were related, they had the backbone to speak up, which, to their credit, will work over here. And uh, to his credit, he will listen. The, uh, he's going to have a question in a moment. What do I do if I paid them already? That might sound like a funny question, but um, it's not, and we'll see. It's, it's all going to be in his chus so far. We'll see what happens. Ches, ki ata He says, there are uh, plenty of soldiers over here. This is the warning of the Navi. And if you bring them, and you think you need more soldiers, and you pick them, he tells them, Pemali. Here, the Musr is in the Amuna department. He said, Yotaina, that, okay, they're not the firmest of the soldiers, but uh, any mercenary you hire is going to have the same issue. Hashem tells the Malach, you don't need them, and if you bring them, you're going to lose. That's pretty preferish. It's not like Zashayla, Betach, and Amuna, what should you do? He said, they're going to be a, a severe handicap to the extent that you're going to lose. Pasuk Tes, Vayemer Amatio, Leish, next page. Isha Lakim, Malasa, Slamasa, Kikar, Shanasati, Legadud Yisrael. Now, um, you were smiling when, uh, <laughs> when I told you this question was coming. This is not the question when I do the money, it's a lot of money. This is the Royal Treasury, and this is your tax dollars at work. And it was really a halachic shayla. If you hire somebody and you pay them, and uh, you don't want to back out. So we paskin, like Rabbi Yechanan, the Kenyan Kesos Chamidaraisa, but they didn't start yet without Mashiach. There's no Mashiach over here. They're just going to battle. So you would say the Kenyan Kesos is the start, or maybe the Malach is the start. The Gemara seems to say as soon as he starts working, they didn't work yet. They didn't go into battle. So they prepared, and it says a Mishapar over here. So there is a Shaila here in Bab Metzi. It's a Shaila Chesha Mishput. Like I paid them already. I paid them already. They came. Uh, I don't think. 
he really understood there was a Shiloh over here in terms of, if Hashem says send them home, so let HaKosh Baruch worry about the Hashem Mishpah Shiloh. The question is, do I ask my money back? Can I send them home, ask the money back? He has a good excuse. Hashem told me you got to go home. Whether they like that answer, I don't like the answer. It's a fascinating question. Uh, again, the wonderful thing to see over here, he was, he was asking him to send them home already. He felt these 100,000 soldiers in need, and there's 25% of his army now. So he's willing to send them home. He wants to know, what should I do with the money? So, what's the answer? The money? who can make up the shortfall and give you kefal on dal v'hei in a second. What are you worried about? Especially in a government context. You know, well, what does it mean to the, to the government uh, fighting a war for one day? I mean, you look at the numbers today. It, it's, it's, it's off the charts. Just, to, just extending the war a day or two, you know, cost a billion dollars. He says, what are you worried about? It's, uh, it's a lot of money, okay, but uh, you're going to fight a war now. You get booty from a war. So there could be uh, $5 billion, $6 billion of booty. So Hashem has uh, plenty of ways to get you the money. Don't worry about it. Let them keep the money, which is a nice tip. They came to fight. They were hired. They show up in gear. This is the fun part. You get dressed up. Why does anybody fight for money? Same reason they joined the Peace Corps. They, you know, you, get, you, get, you go, go places, meet people. So this is the fun part. Uh, the not such fun part is when you have to go into battle and people start shooting. So they don't even have to do that. Here you get your full pay, go home. You would think one would be thrilled. They are very less than thrilled. As a matter of fact, they're going to go on a rampage over here, which just shows you the caliber of uh, who was being hired and who was being sent home. He tells them to leave, Pasuk Yud, So he tells them to go back home. They're very angry. They're insulted. So what are we, mashed potatoes? So you can't think we can't fight. I'm not sure if he told them exactly this is the Dvar Hashem or he insinuated it. Uh, I have no reason to say he didn't say it, but they're so furious. Why are they so furious? He's saying it, quoting the Navi, he's quoting the Kosh Baruch Hu. Uh, Maybe he didn't tell them the They think that they're being accused of being a fifth column and uh, they're not worthy fighters or we decided we don't like you. It's a sort of state of war, cold peace with, with the SS Shvatim. Uh, you outvoted, my officer said no. That, that could be. Sometimes the officers are told, uh, get to you one second, Davar uh, Melech, if you recall, came to fight with the Plishtim on the Plishti side. That was all planned. And they had the chutzpah to accuse him, the officers of the Plishti army, came to the Plishti Melech and said, what's he doing here? He said, oh, no, no, he's a renegade. He, he came over outside a lot of them. And they had the audacity to accuse David of being a fifth column, which, by the way, is exactly what he was. <laughs> That's the irony over here. And, uh, and David had to pretend to be all insulted that he's being sent home. He was davening, saying to Hillam, writing to Hillam, saying to Hillam all night they'd send him home. Baruch Hashem, uh, they did. He didn't want to be fighting. He could not show up because then they'd accuse him of being a traitor. And Baruch Hashem, they sent him home. So here, it's quite possible they um, got this idea that they don't trust him, which is why I, I'm not being the ash of what they're about to do, but just trying to explain psychologically why they're angry. Yeah, Yaakov. Yeah, David? Okay, I mean, the pay wasn't enough. They came, they came not only for the excitement, but for the money. The pay was enough, but if you're going to get more spoils of war. Okay. 
Okay, we should have given him a bonus. Uh, okay, interesting. Maybe the numbers weren't good enough. Yeah. So I, I think that they came for ideological reasons. I'm suspecting that because this is the war to Amalek. Edom, Amalek. It's not Amalek, it's Adam. There is a difference. There's Rome and there's Amalek. They want to part historically and getting rid of Edom. That's a very nice uh, view of their Seshvatim. I think you might be um, overshooting their Tzitkas. What? Uh, okay, okay, nice. Uh, I, let's, um, it could be some of them. Could be some of them. Here's maybe, uh, I'll, even, I'll even make it better. Here's a chance to have Achtus with the rest of Klai Yisrael. How, how, many, how many issues can we actually get together on? You know, so um, maybe. That's um, interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I, I like that for some of them. I, I, I don't know if we could say that about all of them, but yeah, it's a nice Limitz Chus. And then you have Limitz Chus and Yidin, even if they're no longer alive. So uh, you have another one? Is it possible to ask this question with the 100,000 that we paid at a rate vis a vis to the other 300,000 people around that they would be discouraged because they see these guys being paid and thrown out? I think it's a boost to their morale. He's basically, he, I'm sure he had to tell them something. I think he told them either Beferish what the Navi said, and they are former, and they're going to understand, or he told them, you know what, this is going to be such a quick war, we're so good, I decided we don't need them. That usually uh, would boost morale, I would assume. Can't guarantee, but uh, that's, uh, they, we have no report to the Pusik over here they had any issue with it. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to go on to the battle. Maybe today, maybe maybe not. Yeah, we will. And uh, it's going to be very successful without them, as a Kosh promised. But I think the soldiers uh, might have been on the Madriga, the ones that were staying, might have understood that. But they're very angry. Uh, right now, it just says, V'yashuvu limkaimim b'chariyof. You would think, okay, it's the worst of it. So they didn't like it. Maybe there's some screaming and yelling. Unfortunately, we're going to see soon very soon, that uh, on the way home, they're still in the district of Yehuda, on the way home, they're going to stop in many villages and start rampaging and killing people and looting and burning down houses, which is very sad, damaging, and that's not the last we're going to hear of this, because as you can imagine, very forward, next week we'll still have Shir, I hope, if you guys are still not helping your wives till 9.30 in the morning, uh, but that's going to be the last one before Pesach, we'll give you one Sunday off. And uh, Amatio is going to have a decision to make when he comes back from the battle whether to retaliate. Here he gets back and he hears that uh, there were 62 villages that were burnt to the ground by Jewish soldiers. This is not going to bode well for what happens afterwards. They weren't just angry, they're going to act on it. Which shows we're dealing with a pretty unruly, uh, wild, not so firm group of people, which is why Akash Baruchu told them that they have to get rid of them. Pasuk Yeralef. Vamatziah heschazek v'yinag es ama v'yelach gei hamelach. We all know where this is. This is uh, Edom was in Harseir, frightfully close to Yehuda. This is like near Yama Melach. Vayachas b'nei Seir aseres alafim. And he fights and he kills out 10,000 soldiers. Yeah, it's a relatively small army. This gives you the numbers that the 300,000 we're dealing with was, I don't see a taina that it was overkill just on the 300,000, but it was well 
within the number they need or above the number they need, and um, they're going to kill 10,000 and take 10,000 POWs, and it's going to be considered a massive victory. So how big was the army array? They were a threat, which is why they went in with a uh, solution they would figure would keep them from coming back for a long, long time, which is fine so far. Here's where the problem starts. Uh, explain this delicately by Geneva Convention and the uh, modern world. It hasn't been around too long and nobody else is keeping this but the Americans. Maybe the Brits, Canadians, you know, the Western world. And nobody keeps this, but the rules were written by the people who planned on keeping it and the people who voted are keeping it by, by, by and large. Problem is, the enemy we're fighting against are not, which is a big problem when you make rules of engagement and the other side doesn't keep it. The Israelis have the same problem with the Arabs, which is why we can never effectively really fight to get rid of them. Why haven't we had a campaign in Gaza like this campaign of Amatziel against Edom? On paper, we, we should have the ability to do it. The answer is we can't because um, the Umar will never let us get away with it. We still live in Gullahs, even if we're in Eretz Yisrael. So we can't. And, and many of the generals, the Kechavetzi Yadi generals, are saying, I don't understand, we have planes, we have a, why don't we just uh, finish this off? That's a silly question. I understand why they're asking, but it's a silly question. We can't, because in order to do it, it's going to be brutal and look ruthless, and, uh, and the Umar uh, are not going to understand, and the uh, UN is going to condemn them as soon as they start winning which would happen in every other war. So it's not going to work. So if they, every time it's only a small retaliation over here and a bombing over there, and even that we get hit over the head for. So the context of here has to be understood. In war, if you today uh, to take a POW, today to fly on a mission, you need a lawyer in the cockpit, which is an untenable situation. Just before you drop bombs, you need, uh, you need a few attorneys. They have to make the planes bigger. Just you, you, can't, uh, you can't get anything done with uh, they check. And the same thing is in the, in the White House. Uh, but for the Israelis, there's always a triple standard. And uh, today, you take a POW, so there's nothing much you could do but breakfast, lunch, and supper, and uh, some sort of college program in jail, and, and whatever, which is today going on in all the jails in Israel as well. In the olden days, you could decide what to do if they have some of yours. You can uh, trade, you can give them back, or you can execute them. If they're enemy combatants and they're dangerous and you send them home, uh, in the ancient world, the assumption was you probably should execute them. Especially if they keep coming back like a bad penny and it's not the first war you've had with them, like Edom. That part is not going to be uh, an issue. The issue over here is that uh, he did what we just read in the Pasuk with the Chesh Ben-Laman, Yishmu he killed them in an unusually cruel way. He did that in full view of the enemy and the population at large. Uh, so the Umas Elam and everybody else should see, primarily Adam, but everybody should see, don't mess with us. And uh, this is like the 21st war we've had, and we can't keep doing this. And uh, we're not doing this again. And as the Pus describes, Ve'yavium l'roish ha'sela, on the air, I almost don't want to touch the Pasuk, but you all can read it and understand what it means yourself. Uh, like from, a, from a quite a height with the cliff. So that was literally overkill. 
And you'll say, no, okay, they died quicker, it's not more messy, less messy. Uh, this quote-unquote smaller Avera, it wasn't a small Avera because uh, I don't want to condone anything the Umas Olam do in their uh, resolutions, but the reason why on, on paper they judge us by a double standard is because it's anti-Semitic primarily. The subconscious reason, and the reason Klape Shemaya we have a double standard, is because we're Klai Yisrael, and there is an expectation that we act more humane than everybody else. As humane and more. That's important. We're here to make a Kish Hashem, a Devur Hashem. No one's tining he couldn't execute them. That was standard in warfare in the ancient world. This display of power and ruthlessness, although he did it, Lama Yishmu Viro, was not necessary and therefore counterproductive. This is very important and very delicate. That's why Navi is here. People, I'm preaching to the converted over here. We've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing it for 20, 20 plus. But there is a lot to learn over here. And this is a nuance, like the Navi doesn't come and start giving Musa right away. This is a nuanced problem which will lead to a bigger problem. As my preface stated, you have to understand how he got himself to a bigger mess. What was the chisarin? What did he do wrong in the first place? Here's where the problem starts. Even though it wasn't 